Well, for those of you who lived through the 2007-2008 crisis, here's some news. Banks, well, they're cutting their credit to households. Is it all starting over again? We'll tackle that with financial writer Kristen Wong on today's Money with Friends. Welcome back to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement outside Detroit, Michigan, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Hi. And I am Kristen Wong, coming to you from Pasadena, California. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> this, I mean, it's a little bit better than your mom's half-finished basement, but... Well, slightly, slightly. It, <laughs> it depends on whether it's board game night or not, Kristen. But this is the podcast where we cover recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today, we're going to tackle one from Barron's. Not only do we read them like some podcasts, but we dive into how these affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, and pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, we'll also share a big idea at the end of today's show that you can take with you to be better with money the rest of your day, all in usually less than 20 minutes. Today's show is brought to you by Policy Genius. You'll never be distressed about life insurance with Policy Genius. In just a few minutes, you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. We all get things wrong from time to time. At least we can get life insurance right with Policy Genius. Kristen Wong joins us again today. The Wild Wong is back and uh, happier here for us with for us with us another another day. But this this news we're about to talk about is kind of ugly, Kristen. Where were you during the 2007-2008 crisis? Um, I was kind of just starting out in my career, I guess. I was still in, I was in Houston, Texas, and I was a technical writer. And so I wasn't super affected by it. But now that I'm thinking back on it, I think, I mean, it re- that time period just really helped me become more aware of my finances because everybody was talking about money more. Like there was such a push for like financial, like journalism and media at that time. And I remember reading, um, Donna Friedman's posts at, do you remember Donna Friedman at MSN? Yeah. Yeah. And I would just binge read her posts every day. She wrote about like saving money and being frugal. And, um, and that, that kind of started my interest in money. I, I, so Donna Friedman's a great person to learn about money from, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I would read her and Liz Weston at MSN money. Yeah. And of course, Liz was here with us last week. She's in our cast this time too. So that's, that's very funny. Nice. Uh, yes. Uh, were you, were you writing about finance then? I was kind of blogging about it. Um, I, you know, I, I would, I was writing about other things for MSN living actually at that time. And I was just, I was started blogging for JD Roth's blog, get rich slowly. Cause I would read that too. Um, my dad would always like send me articles from there and I just kind of got hooked because I liked how everybody wrote on that. Like they wrote in a really like not prescriptive way. Like it yeah. was very about their personal, it was very narrative and I liked that. And so they were hiring writers once and I was like, Hey, I'd like to write about my messed up relationship with money. <laughs> you should hire me. And they did. And the rest is history, I suppose. That is fantastic. Well, we'll go into something that's not fantastic. This idea of banks cutting credit. Uh, but let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick off today's discussion. What's good? This is Rich from Paychecks and Balances. Friends, check. Money, check. Friends with money, let's do this. All right. This piece comes to us from Barron's, written by Matthew C. Klein. Matthew writes, banks are starting to cut their lending to households. It could be an ominous sign. Uh, Kristen, you mind doing the honors here at the beginning? Sure. 
The coronavirus continues to affect the Federal Reserve's weekly data on commercial bank lending, with the latest figures showing that the surge in borrowing by businesses has slowed somewhat since mid-March, even as banks continue to throttle credit to households. Commercial and industrial loans owned by businesses grew by $106 billion in the week ended April 1. While that is one of the largest increases on record, it is down significantly from the previous two weeks. Earlier in March, U.S. companies were borrowing about 30% of their pre-crisis revenues each week, mainly by drawing down their existing credit lines with banks. Banks boosted CNI lending by $175 billion in the week ended March 18th and by $188 billion in the week ended March 25th. The slowdown could reflect reduced demand by companies that have unlocked other sources of funding, particularly now that the Fed has committed to buying corporate bonds. It is also possible, however, that the data are showing companies hitting their limits with lenders. Intriguingly, the slowdown in CNI lending was driven entirely by domestically chartered commercial banks rather than by the U.S. branches of foreign banks. More worrying than the data on CNI loans, however, are the data on bank lending to households. The whole point of a financial system is that it allows people to spend money they don't have, especially during emergencies. I love that line. The flatlining of auto lending after years of growth is unsurprising since few are going to dealerships, but the decline in credit card debt is worrying. Between March 4th and April 1st, banks have cut their credit card lending by more than 3%. That's the biggest four-week drop since 2009. While most of the credit card debt in the U.S. is held by banks and their balance sheets. A decent fraction is securitized and sold to fixed income investors. There, too, the data shows a sharp contraction in financing available for households. And that uh, analyst at Dutch Bank pointed out in a recent note that new issuance in these credit card asset-backed securities since the start of 2020 is down about 80% relative to what it was by this time in 2019 and 2018. There are obvious reasons why banks wouldn't want to lend to people who are likely to lose their jobs and end up with permanent lower incomes as a result. That suggests the government needs to step in if we want to prevent a downward spiral of falling spending and unemployment. Obviously, uh, Klein there at the end with a little bit of uh, opinion commentary about what he thinks should be done, Kristen. But without getting into that type of commentary, what's the first thing you think of when you hear this story that uh, banks lending less money to people? Uh, The same as you, that line kind of jumped out to me too, that uh, the point of a financial system is to, you know, give people access to funds that they don't normally have. How do you feel about that? What are your thoughts? Well, I think, uh, I think, yes, I've always thought that our our whole economic system is backward. I look at a system like Singapore as an example, where uh, the average person has to save 10%, my understanding, or more of their paycheck. It's just, it's part of this uh, opt out instead of opt in philosophy. And because of that, the average mm-hmm. net worth of people is very high and people tend not to borrow a ton of money. And um, so I think it's built on brick instead of built on sand. But once you recognize that our whole economy is built on the fact that people use money they don't have and we get tax credits, we get tax breaks, we get all the, the whole the whole banking system is set up for us to use money that we don't have. Once you realize that, you know, he's he's definitely speaking the truth, which also leads me to believe the quicker I can get away from that, better off I'm going to be. Right. Um, but then it makes me wonder, because it is so true. And like to put it so bluntly like that, I mean, I guess you always kind of, in, you, you intrinsically know this, like just by how credit works and how the system works. But to, to read it so bluntly like that was, uh, I don't know, that was just really interesting. And 
also makes me think then, you know, about things like credit card rewards points. Like the only reason that works is because some people must get because it backfires for some people, right? Because right. it gets some people into debt. So like this whole system that we um, kind of set everything up on is, is it, does it only work because some people fail at it? I, or I, am I thinking about this too much? No, absolutely. Well, you think banks lend money because it's profitable, right? Imagine if, if nobody borrowed money, I mean, now we're getting very esoteric, but if nobody borrowed money, then banks would have to find ways to make money on, on, on other areas. Um, yeah. and, uh, I mean, imagine if, if, if the reward system in, in, in our economy were all based on saving more money, like how would that fundamentally change things? If you got a huge tax break for saving money, how, mm-hmm. how much would we save? How much would we put away? I know. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the big thing I worry about is, I remember in 2007, 2008, watching people that had to live on credit all of a sudden have their credit taken away. They lost their job, and at the same time, they lost their credit. Like we always thought when I was a financial planner, I always thought that that you would have kind of in what we called the ice cream cone approach to an emergency fund. You'd have a first tier, which was money and cash, a second tier, which might be CDs or very low, uh, you know, like treasury, something really boring in the bond department. And mm-hmm. then the scoop on the top was access to credit. So maybe a home equity line of credit or a credit card you didn't use that had a cash advance that you could go to or a, a credit line at a bank. And if you remember 2007, 2008, th- th- those all got cut. Like immediately they were, they were gone and then people would max out the credit card, right. To try to stay in their house, uh, and their job Mm -hmm. was gone. And next thing you know, they had maxed out credit cards, no ability to pay the mortgage, no access to any more credit. And, uh, that, that made it worse for a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it's surprising how many people, um, are okay with defaulting to putting an emergency on a credit card. I remember when I was writing for life hacker we'd get a lot of pushback sometimes because you know people like i think when you get to a certain level with your finances you want to just like optimize it more so like people are like oh don't put your emergency fund in don't you don't have to be liquid like invest it all and then if worse comes to worse you can just put it on a credit card right. which is as a financial advisor that would not be something you would recommend right it makes me so frustrating when i hear that because of 2007 2008 like you can see Front row seat. We had somebody ask us on Stacking Benjamins just yesterday, Kristen. We recorded an episode, which will air uh, next week. And mm-hmm. somebody asked us that question. They're like, why would I leave my all my money invest and use somebody else's money? Well, what if right. what if somebody else's money doesn't exist anymore? Uh, because yeah. we saw that happen already. You don't have to be, you know how they say history repeats itself? You don't even have to be, go back that far. I mean, it was, it was, it was a decade right. ago. In this case, you don't have to go back that far. And I mean... I guess the overall point is like, I I do think like some people figure out like ways of like our financial system obviously is set up this way. And then, so when you get, when you learn how the system works, I think some people figure out how to sort of hack the system and make it work in their favor. And, but I think credit card rewards points are probably a microcosm of that. Don't you like, Oh, sure. Like if we didn't have credit card rewards points, like somebody is paying for that and it is, probably the people who are getting into debt, but also like small businesses and people who then like pass the fees, like it built, pass it on to their customers. And like, they end up having to pay the fees from these credit card companies for these rewards points. So then they pass it on to you by like making the prices of things go up higher. So we're like very excited about credit card rewards points, but 
the truth is things would probably be cheaper if that didn't exist. If they didn't exist, is that true? It'd be cheaper. It could be cheaper for everybody. Well, that's what I've read, but but then I mean, you but, but then you think about this because uh, uh, Ron is hanging out with us and has a good point, which I think goes into what I was about to say. Uh, Ron says, "This issue is exactly why I downsized my family's life." I want to be able to live not on two incomes, but just half an income, which is which is fantastic. But 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 the point is, then, if you're somebody like Ron, mm-hmm. you can get a better deal than everybody else because you can play the credit card reward game, knowing that you you can now. But because it's a zero sum game, right? Right. I get to do competitively better, but then but then there's the question of is it is it all just about me? <laughs> Or is it, or would I rather have it better for everybody? I know, but I mean, I still use them because it's like you're losing money if you don't. It's almost like a, maybe this isn't the right phrase, but it feels like a race to the bottom kind of thing where it's just like if you don't use that, then you're like actively losing money because you're paying these inflated prices, but you're also like not getting the rewards from them. And so there are ways to kind of game the system and figure out how to maximize your rewards. But I feel like that's just like such a microcosm of what, like the the drawbacks of this financial system in general. No, and it and and the scary thing here is is that it is that it could get worse. Here's here's the question. Let's put on your 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 crystal ball. Let's have you look in the crystal ball for a minute. Do you think it'll get to like two thousand seven, two thousand eight again? I wouldn't be surprised. And we kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago on another when a different episode that I was on. Yeah. And we were like, oh, it, it feels like this could possibly be another recession. But it just seems like as the weeks go by, it's like, oh, yes, it becomes more serious where it's like, oh, it definitely is. And now it's the question is, how long is it going to last? Um, I mean, it feels very similar, does it not? It, it does feel more and more similar all the time. And what, you know, as you hear data, uh, the more that I see, you know, new, new, new data about how the economies recover and how the virus seems to be going and makes it more clear that, that we could be in for an extended, mm-hmm. uh, extended time. I like the idea of planning on it being worse and hoping for it being better. You know, like, I feel like my planning yeah. is better my planning is better if I plan for worst case scenario and it doesn't happen. Like there's no downside then. Yeah. Where if I plan super optimistically and then something goes wrong, my plan then falls apart very quickly. Yeah, I think that goes with a lot of things, especially in the money world. Like I, I remember when I was little, my parents would always tell me, um, well, to save for retirement because they <laughs> Great, great. I was getting retirement advice from my parents at like age five. No, but like they would always say when I was like in saving age, like, hey, when you get older, don't rely on Social Security because it might not probably won't be there. And even if it is like just hope, like plan for the worst, but hope for the best kind of thing. And I think that just applies to so many um so many areas of personal finance and life in general. No, we do that with Social Security, too, in our financial plans. When I mm-hmm. would f- put together a financial plan back when I did that, we would um, we'd always try to eliminate Social Security if possible. And then I'd show my client, here's what your life would look like if there is no Social Security. You're okay or you're not okay. And then here's – so our one of our first goals was always to try not to rely on Social Security. If we could get mm-hmm. the goal and not rely on it, fantastic. Even though I – really think social security will be around like there's no 
Yeah, I've read that that's kind of a myth, the way that we think that, oh, there's literally going to be no Social Security money. Like, it's just that we'll have a reduced amount, right? But still, I mean, the worst that happens is you've saved more money for retirement, um, which is obviously easier said than done. But I like the way that uh, Jane Bryant Quinn wrote about it. She said that, think about what would have to happen for Social Security to go away. A congressperson, of all people, would have to stand up and say, I vote we get rid of the biggest social program in the United States. Is there a Mm -hmm. congressperson brave enough to make that happen? And so she says the same thing that you said. It'll probably look different, but but right. but nobody's brave enough to do that. Your career is over if you if you do that. Why do so many people think that though? So many people think that Social Security is like you're gonna is gonna run out. Uh, uh, I mean, just looking at the math, right? That that mm-hmm. something does have to change. So. I guess the I, I guess the feeling then is I, I should I should not plan on it. But you're right. People say it won't it won't be around versus what Jane says, which I think is much more realistic. Like I, yeah. I, yeah, I totally. Totally believe that. Uh, coming up in just a second, Kristen and I are going to have our big takeaways from today's piece. Uh, but first, there are things we each look back on and think. How did I get it so wrong? Well, Kristen's never done that. She gets everything right all the time. But I think that. Really? How did I get how did I get it so wrong? It might be wearing multiple polo shirts and popping all the collars. Did you ever do that? <laughs> I've never done that. No? Well, there's something new. <laughs> Donating to Coney 2012 or dating that one person that one time. You know the one. We're always going to get things wrong. That's just life. But there are things we can get right on the first try, like shopping for life insurance. And that's where Policy Genius comes in. Policy Genius makes following, finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. And believe me, guys, if you've never been to the life insurance process, lots of paperwork and lots of red tape. And they do that for free. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance or disability coverage. So even if you look back on your triple denim days and distressed, you'll never be distressed about life insurance with Policy Genius. In just a few minutes, you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. We all get things wrong from time to time. At least we can get life insurance right with, with Policy Genius. It's so funny. So well written. It cracks me up. It just makes me remember these times when, when I would wear some of the most, like you see pictures of yourself. You're like, there's no way I wore that. There is oh, yeah. no way. And that was like last week. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like we were talking about on yesterday's show, wearing the sweatpants around home. Yeah. Not great. What's our takeaway here from this piece, uh, Kristen? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think for me, it is just treating this like it is going to be another great recession of 2008, 2009 era. And um, one like practical thing that I've been doing is just, I don't know, trying to keep a lot of cash on hand. So like my emergency fund is getting bigger, you know, I'm saving more than I normally would for something like that. Um, and just kind of approaching everything through that lens of caution and erring on the side of like, yes, this could get to those levels, you know, recession level bad. Um, just kind of approaching everything cautiously. Yeah. And that's my takeaway as well, just to parrot really what you're saying. Like my mom always said, uh, 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 plan for the worst, hope for the best. And I mm-hmm. think that's a better way. It, you, this idea of using other people's money to get ahead, 
it doesn't land you anywhere pretty. Planning on yourself to get ahead lands you somewhere great every time. I mean, I can't think of a time when having money in the bank was ever a big problem for somebody. Right. No. (laughs) Where does everybody find you, Kristen? What are you up to these days? Tell me about some stuff that uh, you're working on. Well, um, I am now editor of The Financial Diet, so we have some cool stories coming out there. Um, You can check it out at thefinancialdiet.com. You can always find me on my website, kristenwong.com, and I'm on social media as The Wild Wong. And and I got to tell you, The Financial Diet, you guys always are coming up with something fun and interesting and a new way of looking at stuff. I would, I would, I would love to be in on your, uh, like if, I don't know if you guys have like with Stacking Benjamins, we have a creative meeting where we kind of make each other laugh. We come up with stuff. I don't know if you guys have a meeting where you're all kind of brainstorming. Oh, Oh, I'd love to be in on that. Cause that just, Oh, it's gotta be great. Cause you look at what comes out at the end and I think their meetings have got to be a good time. So yeah, it's exciting. Good stuff. Kristen, thanks for hanging out again. And everybody, oh, we will, we'll see everybody back here tomorrow. Hopefully it's, it's Bobby and I, Bobby had a tree hit her house, however. So we might be listening to something fundamental. I don't know. You gotta, and I bet her Wi-Fi is still probably better than mine. <laughs> tree on her house. Even with her husband, Neil out there, just cranking the Wi-Fi. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see everybody back here next time at money with friends. Bye-bye. This show is created and hosted by Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2020. Ryan Sini and Nicole Thornhill from Pro Podcast Solutions engineered this show and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be a part of the show. As with anything, remember, you shouldn't take advice from any of us or other video or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Money with Friends.